Episode 65 of No Guitar Is Safe, featuring super solo artist and super sideman Jay Gore, is presented by Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com. Guitar Player. Play better. Sound better. No Guitar Is Safe. Hanging with Jay Gore today. Great tone there, my brother. Just took the copter up the hill. We are in his personal studio. Surrounded by a whole bunch of cool guitars. <laughs> and two higher frets. Where's one? I can't, one, two, three. I can't talk and play. So yeah, once again, hanging out with Jay Gore, big fan of this guy, met him at a crazy-ass jam Tuesday nights at Cantor's, but Jay is just a consummate professional, really established in the contemporary jazz scene, of course, and also R&B and stuff, play with Lauren Hill, Michael McDonald, Pointer Sisters, Sheila E., Seal, Rick James, Hilary Duff, we'll hear about some of these, he's also done a lot of composition for TV. Some of the shows listed are ER, American Dad. So much to get into. And of course, you got that great rock background, which I love. He comes from a rock... Dude, I'm getting distracted by the funk over here. Work with Sly Stone. Bunch of members of Toto. Some of those deep cats, like David Page. My gosh. He's just jamming away in the background here. And he has a great new album out called Getronica, or I should say it's coming out this month, February 2018. But you get to hear previews of it right here, such as this track. Thanks for being here, Jay. Thank you for having me. Dude, keep those sick memes coming to my phone, too. It's been a little while. <laughs> okay, I got some sick ones. Don't you worry. <laughs> you and Luke at there. I love I it. I got stuff that turns his stomach. 
if you can that is an accomplishment in itself that guy texted me back and said you fucking asshole i can never unsee that <laughs> oh that's classic uh, remind me to send you the one with the vacuum cleaner <laughs> no i i you know what i don't want i'll be in the same position i'll be like jay i can't unsee that i take back what i said good stuff anyway. <laughs> play that in C or if they're or if they're tuned down and oh, play yeah. in C sharp you know what I mean exactly is that that's D all right yeah yeah that's not the first thing I expected you to play today really Jay, that's awesome yeah I'm a meddler at heart man yeah yeah I saw a great video of you playing uh little guitars at Nam or something uh, <laughs> it was years ago with my cousin holding my strings yeah holding he was a human capo he was a capo right yeah yeah I'm isn't it funny I mean so that. many guitar players start off as you know hard rock or metal or everything and then yeah. they branch in so many directions it wasn't intended for me Get, getting oh. away from hard rock was not intended at all what was your intent my intent was to to be a hard rocker man you rock. know to rock i mean i was born and raised here in la and was playing yeah. on the sunset strip since i was 13 years old damn when, when did you first grab a guitar uh my dad brought me home a guitar when i was eight years old i wanted to play piano and he said, I'm not buying an eight-year-old kid a piano so you can quit six months later. Yeah, solid. Which, right. Solid. <laughs> he plays a little guitar. You know, he 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 does the whole kind of kind of, you know, cowboy chord thing, my dad. Sure. Um same with my dad. And he brought me home one of those little three-quarter sized acoustic guitars. I still have it. It's not here, it's my storage. And uh, I, I sat it on my lap like Jeff Healy. Ah. <laughs> and I just tried to make noise out of it, you know. And and he finally got me some lessons, uh, this little music store on Pico Boulevard. There's a little Ma and Pa music store, and I sat there in this tiny little room. It was a closet. And this guy had, you know, he had his long curly hair and smoking a cigarette, and he wore dark sunglasses, <laughs> and he played this beautiful Black Beauty Les Paul. I used to just look at it and think how beautiful it was. It was all black with the gold, three, three gold pickups, the whole thing. And he would just sit there and... He would just sit there and kind of, you know. And he want me to do that, and he'd sit there and just go. <laughs> he would just sit there and solo while I would play rhythms. Just hey, well, rhythm guitar is important. It. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I hated it. And I, but you got the twelve bar blues form down. I got that down, and he. I remember him teaching me uh, like uh, C cruise. You know, uh, that, you know. Right, just that he was strumming between A and D. I would yeah. strum between A and D, and it didn't sound even that good. It was more like you know, uh, right? You know, you're strumming all the strings and not playing in time. Was he hungover from his gigs the night before? I don't the, know. The whiskey. I was, I was like an, a nine-year-old kid, and my dad, my dad said to me, we had this kind of after-school pizza party thing, and one of my best friend's fathers asked my dad. I had bought some KISS tickets, and we can't go. Would you like the KISS tickets? 
And my dad said, yeah, what the hell? So my dad bought some Kiss concert tickets. Yeah, that's awesome. Dynasty tour. Shit. Original band. Before they, you know, Peter and Ace, the original band. Took me to the forum and I saw Ace, man. That changed my life. I know guys have their, like, their Beatles stories and their, everybody's got their Jimi yeah. Hendrix story. Mine was Ace Freely. Seeing him, just, you know. And then that smoke came out of the pickups. And then the guitar... <laughs> you know like levitated into the rafters of the forum and he grabbed Holy another shit. guitar and he hit he came out went you know down and he, he faced the headstock up into the air like he was aiming a, a rifle at the guitar that's floating in the rafters and a freaking rocket shot from the back of the headstock and blew up the guitar that was floating in the air and i, <laughs> no I said i can do that on guitar <laughs> dude you were sold oh, i was sold you were like I was like nine old. or ten years old. It was 79, yeah. Yeah, man. I think I got that. I got my first pile of records from, you know, from the old One Cent Record Club. Right. Kiss Dynasty. Didn't have like, I was made That's the one. You. That's the one. That epic drum fill. Yeah, I think that was actually Anton Fig. Oh, damn. Yeah. Peter Chris let I me know. down. I was no. Peter Chris for Halloween that year. From what I... And you let me right. down. Right. I was ace. <laughs> I've got the pictures. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I believe that most of that record is is uh, Bob Kulik and, and uh, Anton Fig. Isn't that I, funny? Yeah. yeah. I think Ace and Peter really weren't even showing up to the studio in those days anymore. But I wasn't there, so I don't know. That's what you read. Right, that's what you, you read. Who knows? Who knows what you read is true or not. So, I don't know. Sounds like Ace to me. That's a great story. I never knew about that whole rocket launcher thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can probably catch it on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, you had a... I'm sure yeah. that what was shooting out of the back of his car was not actually doing anything. It was probably a, a well-timed effect. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I was nine, and I was just blown away. It was just seeing... I mean, it's funny because when you get older and you read Gene's books and Ace's book and Peter's book, you, I've read all their books. They talk about that was a bad time for them because that was when they stopped being a rock band and started being a comic comic book heroes on stage with instruments. Right. And that was one of the things that got Ace and Peter upset, I guess, was they wanted to be rock and rollers. They wanted to be, and now here they are playing for little kids. I was one of those little kids. Right. Yeah. But at this, yeah, dude, how did you feel after that when you, I mean, I remember for me, this, I had the same exact moment. It was ACDC when right. I was 12. It's like, okay. I, I couldn't speak after that show. Like, yeah. I was like, I was so stunned at the power I had just witnessed. Exactly. I did, And I'd been to concerts before because my father ran concession stands at a place in Burbank called the Starlight Bowl. Damn, I just played there for the first time the other day. I've never even played there. I used to go as a little kid, and I remember I saw Bob Marley there. I saw James Taylor, Jackson Brown, Bonnie Raitt, because I would go and I'd work the popcorn machine. <laughs> awesome. And then I would take one of those little change machines, those little change belts, sure. and I'd wear those, and my older cousin and I yeah. would go walk around, and he'd hold the thing with all the Coca-Colas in it, yeah. and I would give people quarters back. So I got to see all these great shows when I was a kid, so it wasn't like I'd never been exposed to live music. But I mean, Kiss was just nothing. Nobody's doing oh, yeah. anything like that. But in those days, that they were, they were the top of the of, of everything. So that was why I stuck with guitar. Was that just motivated? And I saw that. I was like, oh, I want to do that. What was the first great lick you remember playing as a kid? Like for me, it was probably. All right. Although I suffered through it, I put little tape marks underneath the strings. That's a I was great like, question. Is there anything you remember that that you? Uh, I think I remember playing, um, yeah, man. Yeah. 
yeah, Tom that, Petty. Yeah, yeah that I was remember, on the radio right around the same time. Yeah, I remember playing that one. Um, there was probably some cheap trick in there too that I was, you know, probably playing. Um, like the beginning yeah. of Surrender or something. Dude, I was, you're taking that was that was the other record in my <laughs> Columbia House one cent thing. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, mean, I think I remember like I. Like Cold Gin by Kiss. There's, yeah, you know, that's great stuff. There man. was, there because I, I really, when I started, after I saw a Kiss concert, I don't remember if I kept taking lessons with that music store guy for much longer. I was pretty self-taught. I would buy all the magazines, you know, Guitar World and Player and all Hit Parader, Cream, all that stuff, yeah. and 16 even because Kiss was on the cover every week back in those days. Right. And I would look at the guitar player's pictures and see where their hands were. And I would pick up my guitar and I would like put my fingers in the same places that I'm looking in the pictures. And I kind of learned chords that way. Wow. Yeah. I'm impressed. Yeah, I remember seeing a picture of Loverboy in Circus Magazine. Right. And I don't. I wish I knew the guitar player's name. Paul. I'd hear their songs on the radio. They were amazing. Yeah. And he was... Paul Dean. They were rocking out. Yeah, Paul Dean. They were rocking out. Total action shot. Right. On stage, performing a concert, and he was holding the chord, and he was reaching over and tuning one of his strings awesome. at the same time <laughs> with the other so guys cool. all in tandem. Like, they were all on stage together, and I was like, okay, that guy knows what he's doing. That's so cool. <laughs> I saw them open for Journey on the Escape Tour. Again, oh, my damn. dad took my sister and I to the forum to see Journey. Yeah, and, and Loverboy opened. That's killer. Yeah, and my, my dad's a big, um, you know, I think he regrets it now. <laughs> but he's a big reason why I'm a musician, you know? Right. Not necessarily because he was a guy who could sit around and play Gordon Lightfoot tunes on the guitar, but he exposed me to so much music. My dad, always in his car, even to this day, he his cassettes in his, in his glove box were Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, Boston, Hart, Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. You know, he it just, Barry White, it just was... Earth, Wind, and Fire. It ran the gamut. My dad just likes music. You know, it wasn't yeah. genre specific at all. What was it like seeing Neil Sean at that age? I'll tell you. I realized something. It's a great question. I realized something because before you know you know something, there's this innate thing that you have and you don't know what it is yet. And my incessant tone chasing. Even at that age, when I think all I owned was maybe one acoustic guitar and a fake Les Paul that my dad bought me at a pawn shop for like $50 that I still have, I remember thinking, God, his guitar tone is just terrible. It's so bright and brash and tinny. And I remember and I remember not thinking that about Paul Dean, who opened, Loverboy opened for them. I remember not thinking that his t anything about his tone. But I remember when, I remember that the guitar bothered me. It was so just lacking in any warmth. Yeah. I and, remember thinking that. And I didn't know anything about tone then. I didn't know. Yeah. It's too bright. It's too tinny. I just remember just like my ears were like, wow, that guitar is just like stabbing yeah. me. Plus like, it could have the two totally different front of house engineers. Absolutely. It could have been anything, you yeah. know. And the forum was designed for Lakers games, not yep. Journey concerts. Although it has been completely That's retrofitted what, now to be a music venue, which right. is crazy. Can you polish so. a turd? This is the question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great, right down there. The forum. Yeah, so, but I'm yeah. glad I went. I'm glad I saw it. I love Neil Sean so Me much, too. too. Just like the way he plays these singable solos. Oh, absolutely. Like, man. I'd be sitting there, I'd be going. Yep. It's like, it just sticks in your mind. 
tells a story with that so it's, it's so amazing easy, easy to remember everything that he plays it's amazing all, his solos just uh, just all of that i should know that one there's <laughs> a solo uh, Send her my love. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, all those souls, they're just, they're okay, amazing. Too. They're amazing. Even the, you know, all that stuff. Oh, yeah, it's totally. Just, so I was going to tune up real quick. I think yeah, that one has a higher output pickup in it. The blue one and the black one both. Yeah, dude. That's so, the kind of one I use for sessions. So, yeah, we're just sitting here playing these awesome Tyler guitars. They're of awesome, yours, right? And. As we were setting up the mics, I, I had to comment on that's always been one of my favorite finishes, which you said that he calls... It's called Psychedelic Vomit. Psychedelic Vomit. It and is, there's an album title right there. Right. <laughs> it's um, anybody who knows me or has seen a picture of me, I've, they've probably seen me on stage playing this guitar. It's got kind of a swirly red, teal, purple, silver, blue, green, all these different colors. It's affectionately referred to as Vomit, yeah, for short. A guitar tech of mine named Andrew. We were on the road and he had, you know, my hard shell cases and he put tape on the sides of the cases and he just wrote vomit on it. And nice. he said, you want to, you want to sound check with vomit? And that's how vomit stuck. It's killer. Cause it has like a primer, like Camaro in between paint jobs look right. too, which I just love. Oh, I love know? this. I love this guitar. I have, I think six or seven Tylers and uh, yeah. this is definitely my main one. I yeah. just made another one right there. Oh, which right. is kind of the river because the, the the arm contour is cut yeah. off on this so it's bare wood and yeah, that's see, the reverse yeah that one's got just a little bit of vomit on the arm contour just on the arm contour just and the so rest you can is... get some vomit on your elbow when you're right. playing <laughs> exactly and i wanted to do the rest just bare wood and he wouldn't do it yeah. no i'm not doing that <laughs> i love you great guitars so you casually mentioned that you were playing on the Sunset Strip when you were 13. Yeah. Well, how did that end up happening? And what was that scene like? What did you take in there? You're probably seeing some stuff that you can't forget. I, uh, yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of weird because nowadays being 13 is advantageous, you know, with right. YouTube and, you know, every day, I don't know about you being a guitar player, but I almost on a daily basis am inboxed some uh video of some young person playing 
eruption or something. Some embryo as right, uh, exactly. some fetus as Steve Lukather would tell you. <laughs> right. Right. Some some you know playing, you know, you know playing something, you know, yeah, something yeah. that that I too was playing at thirteen but couldn't exploit myself on YouTube at, at that time. And I'm probably you as well. Right. But uh then being that young wasn't good. You know, record labels I had a band. We we got together in my garage Three days a week. I mean, strict schedule. After school, on our bikes, to the house, at the house by 3.30. And there's another guitar player named Jeff and I. And we would come up with some sort of riff, you know. You know, it was just like kind of... The stuff yeah. was kind of like the first Def Leppard record, like On Through the oh, Night yeah. or, or High and Dry. Like, it was... Right kind of more melodic than acdc but not the newer def leppard not the photograph def leppard you know and we had problems with singers like every band because you're 13 and your voices are changing and but we did it my drummer and i were real kind of especially the my drummer craig these guys are all still good friends of mine none of them play music anymore but these guys are all good friends of mine what was your band's name frequency oh cool frequency okay. we would get on our bikes and ride up to the troubadour and uh hey man we want to book our band Get out of here, kids. How'd you get in here? You know what I mean? <laughs> We'd sneak in the back door. You know. No, yeah. really, we have a band. We're really good. Well, I need to hear a demo tape. Shit, we don't have a demo tape. We'd beg our parents to give us money. We go. We have to go to a recording studio in those days. You couldn't yep. do it at home like you can now. So our parents gave us money to go to the recording studio. And we recorded a demo, like a four-song demo. Hey, you got like two-inch tape going or something. Oh, yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. And... We recorded these demos and we did them live. We didn't do any kind of overdubs. I remember we did three takes of each song. And that was it. We played them live in the big room together. Didn't even use gobos. I remember our amps. We, we set up like we did on on stage and we recorded live. And then we went in and listened to each take and which take we liked best that went on the cassette. Then took it to the guy at the Troubadour and he didn't believe it was us. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, man, our parents spent all his money making this demo. It's us. It's us. He's like, I don't believe that's you guys. So he was nice enough to actually come to my house and watch us rehearse. Wow. And and then he was like, okay, okay. I, I can't. I'm gonna, and he gave us a date. I remember it was a Sunday night. And we said, we can't do a Sunday night. He goes, well, I can't give you a Friday and a Saturday. Now, in these days, Fridays and Saturdays were reserved for bands like Dokken, Rat, Poison, they're a Wasp, the height Great of White, metal. yeah, like all these bands were right on the break of be of being huge, but they were still doing Troubadour gigs, and they would do two a night. They'd do like a nine thirty or ten o'clock show, and then they'd clear the Troubadour and bring in the second because they, they were big enough to sell out two shows. That's huge, yeah. yeah. And um, so they wouldn't give us a weekend. And he says, "What I'll do is I'll give you a Sunday night when you don't have school on Monday." On a three-day weekend. Damn, this guy's really working with he you. He really wanted... He, I remember his name was Mike Glick. I don't know whatever happened to that guy, but he really was... He really... He wanted to manage us and the whole thing. It just didn't work out. So that's how it got started. It's a troubadour, and then we couldn't play at Gazzari's at first because we were too young. And I think the Roxy and the Whiskey were... As long as your parents are there and you go on stage and leave immediately after and don't stay in the club, it was okay. And that's basically how it went down. Wow, that's great. Rock City News and Bam Magazine. We would just take out ads and... It was easy to pack those clubs, man. We all went to different schools... And we all just sold tickets to our friends at school. Kind of pay-to-play-ish even back then? Back in those, no, there was a little before pay-to-play. What it was was you, they would give you discount tickets. So if it was, if it was 
say four dollars to get in on a sunday night they would give us discount tickets we bought a rubber stamp stamped our name on the tickets and everybody who came through the door with that ticket paid two dollars instead of four we got one dollar the house got one dollar that's how that worked Classic. and i was shrewd enough at that point in time to have my sister sit at the door and count tickets as they came through <laughs> i just knew they were gonna try and screw us you know i was even yeah. thinking about the money then some I, things never change yeah yeah. So, what was next in your life? Did you uh, go to music school or anything after high school, or how did? What were your? Did you have any great teachers? What What was your big learning stuff that happened? I did. I had. Uh, I finished high school after my sophomore year when I was sixteen. I, I got the, the the GED they call it. You know, when I was sixteen, I went to GIT. Oh, cool. Yeah, and a GIT. I didn't know at that kind of at that moment what kind of player I wanted to be. I was just all about Warren D. Martini and Eddie Van Halen pretty much at that point in my life. I had a Charvel, which is sitting right there, an old Sandimas Charvel with just one pickup and one volume knob and a yeah. Floyd. And um, I was just all about Warren D. Martini and Eddie Van Halen was, and, and George Lynch too. But I mean, Eddie was my, still is my, my big guy, you know, but I knew there's already an Eddie, there's already a war, and, and what's my thing going to be? When I got to music school, I had some great teachers there. I remember Henry, Scott Henderson was there. Paul Gilbert wasn't there at that time, but um, Tommy Tedesco was there. Joe Pass was there. But there was a guy who I became friends with later in life. We started doing gigs together, a guy named Ross Bolton. Sure. Ross changed things for me. When I saw Ross play, Ross was doing the cool, you know... Um, You know, the cool right. jazz runs, but kind of swinging rock feel. You know what I mean? And I just dug that, man. I, and, and, he was, yeah. and, he was, and he was great with the, he was great with the, you know, the, um, the. Yeah. He was great with the funk and the R&B and all that. And I was like, that's who I want to be. I want to be like that guy. Yeah. Just shout out to Ross, man. I can't yeah. believe he's gone. Wow. He, I had the pleasure of, you know, being quote unquote his manager at MI when I was the administrator really? of the, I was the chair of the guitar department. Okay. And you know, Ross, his funk class was so popular. And he right. always every quarter he had one private lesson. And students who were of the highest seniority who were about to graduate, they right. had first choice. They would line up literally overnight. Right. To, to be first in line to get Ross's private lesson for a quarter where they could have him one-on-one yeah, one for an hour. he was amazing. I can't believe that. He just, you know, he, he got sick and then it was gone. He was over, he was, I was was over so fast. Right before it happened, we were in Spain. Jamie Finley was also a huge influence, not on me as a player, but he was a huge influence on me when it comes to ethic. When it comes to putting in the time every day, the homework, you know, the discipline, ja that was all Jamie yeah. Finley. Jamie would get on my ass. He'd be like, listen, man, you could be great. You can be, you have it in air quotes, but it, you have to work for it too. You can't just sit around and think that some magic power is going to throw all this ability into you. You have the natural thing for it, but you have to, it's all the reason why you have to work twice as hard because right. you're lucky you were given this gift by wherever or whomever, whatever. So you're an idiot if, if you squander it. Interesting. And because and, he was my, 
private teacher. The private teacher, right? He yeah. was my private teacher that you'd go over your curriculum with and all that. Yeah. He, he, Jamie was. I was also really Norman Brown. I was really into Norman Brown, too, who I'm very good friends with now. So years later, this is months before Ross died. Ross and I are the two guitar players on the Dave Cause Cruise. We're uh, like the house guys. We back right. up all the artists. He backs up one. You know, there's like 15 yeah. artists. He takes seven. I take seven. We're on stage one night, and Norman Brown is one of the artists. And we're on stage, and the crew has set us up where it's it's uh, Ross's pedal board on stage, then mine, and then Norman Brown's, and they're all right three next to each other. We're literally like touching elbows, or such confined area. And I, at soundcheck, I said, guys, I got to tell you, man, this is this is like a I made it moment for me. And they're like, why? And I said, you both were my teachers at MI 30 years ago. And now here I am in the Mediterranean on a stage with both of you. I said, that's just a huge thing for me. I just want you to know that. That's awesome. What a great moment. Yeah, it was. was, And then he was telling me how he's been having back pain for so long and he doesn't know what it is. And he's jogging every day, you know. Yeah, he was was in perfect physical shape. Yeah. Yeah. And the word got out. As soon as we flew back, he says, I got to go see a doctor when we get back home. We were on the airplane. He and I and Paul Brown, I don't know if you know Paul Brown is. Paul Brown's a pretty big smooth jazz producer, songwriter, artist. He's a... He's, 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 I don't know. I mean, it's kind of the Quincy Jones of smooth jazz. Everybody in smooth jazz at one time worked with Paul Brown. Right. You know, he's, he's that guy. He's super talented cat. Love the guy. He's great. So that was sad, man. Ross was really sad. Were you you at the funeral? No, no. I mean, I didn't know him that well, but I was at the uh, memorial concert at MI. Oh, okay. Yeah. I wasn't there for that. So Al Jarreau showed up. Wow, that's awesome. He showed up and he sang. Oh, dude. He just improvised a little oh, thing for, for Ross. Because Ross was a guitar player for a lot of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Ross was, he was just wonderful. Super, yeah. Super funky. He is missed, that's for sure. Dude, let's play some funk for Ross. What are you going to play? All right. Um, play something. <laughs> yeah, we could play it. You got the funk tone right there. Yeah, right?
How did you uh, branch out? Like, so what? After MI, how did you end up? Uh, where? What kind of professional gigs were your first and early professional gigs? Okay, that's a good question. I had two pretty, pretty good ones actually. When I was seventeen-ish, I started playing with a band from the seventies called Hamilton, Joe Frank, and Reynolds. Are you hip to them? They had two big hit songs. One was called "Don't Pull Your Love Out on Me," and it was like that. Uh, <laughs> I like it already. I don't know if I'm in the right key. Don't pull your love out on me, baby. If you do, then you think that maybe I'll just lay me down. Cry for a hundred years. I can't sing for shit, but... Uh, that was one, they had one. Uh, baby, baby, falling in love. Falling in love again. All right, a couple chords. Soft rock stuff. Yeah. You're right. They, these, these were really big hits. Um, if somebody could sing, would sing them, you'd know. Um, I started playing with them because my godmother's sister was married to the guitar player. <laughs> the guitar That's player cool. and lead singer, his name is Dan Hamilton. He, uh, he came when I was a kid and would play the troubadour. He would come see me and he's the one who told my parents, you know, you should encourage this. I wouldn't normally say that, but you should encourage this. Um, you know, he's got ability. Whatever he said to them. My mom told me this years later. Danny passed away years ago. He was very young. He was 48 when he passed away. He had some weird, rare stomach thing. Damn. But he was my, they were my first gig and Sly Stone. Holy shit. I never did a gig with Sly Stone. I was his studio guy for probably about two years. A couple times a week, he would just, there was no schedule. The phone would ring around 11 a.m. And that deep gravelly voice, baby boy. What you doing, man? Yeah, come over around one. Oh, come over around two. Well, yeah, come over around two. <laughs> yeah. And I go to the house, and he had a studio in the house. And back then, he had. Uh, he was living down here. He was living yeah up in the canyons, up cool. at, up Benedict Canyon at the time. And he had a Mackie board, maybe like a twenty-four channel Mackie board, and he had four ADAT machines, a Korg M1 keyboard. And an Alesis HR16 drum machine. That was it. Right. That was the I, studio of the day. That was it. I'd go to the house, and I have to say, he was not using at the time. Right. He was very clean. He was very, you know, he was very alert and very with it. And yep. you know, super nice guy. So patient with me. Um, the way I got that gig is a really funny story. My stepdad was an accountant. And he was the accountant for a record label that among he had lots of music industry clients. One of the clients was the president of a record label that had bought Sly's catalog, and Sly was doing a uh, you know kind of a was going to be his big comeback record. This was you know early nineties, ninety ninety one, ninety two, something like that. And my stepfather calls me and he says, "What are you doing today?" I said, "Nothing." 
and he goes, I'm coming by the house and I want you to come with me because I have to bring Sly money. So Sly had money in a trust and my stepdad was in charge of that trust and would give Sly allowance out of his own trust. So he goes, I want Sly to meet you. So get whatever you need to do. I'm going to make him listen to you play guitar. Sweet. Right. So nepotism is alive and well in Hollywood, just so you know. Yeah, well, that's funny. I, I love this the fact that we're talking about this because, you know, that's talent gets you so far and then you just got to be in it to you, win you it. And luck. Yeah, and luck. luck. It really is. So I throw all I had at the time was that Charvel I was telling you about and a, and a Marshall JCM 850 watt half stack, 412 and a head. Throw that crap in the backseat of the car. <laughs> you show up to Slice House with a no, half stack? No, this time we were, he was at a studio on Vine <laughs> called Crystal Studios and on Vine near Santa Monica Boulevard. We go in the studio. My dad's, and my stepdad says, I'm going to go in there and talk to him. You wheel your crap into the studio. I'm not even going to tell him yet, right? So I'm like, okay, I bring my stuff. I set it up. Guy comes in, throws a mic on it. I meet Sly. He's very nice. He says, yeah, let's hear you play, man. So he plays this track for me. And I said, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to solo on it or play rhythm or what? He goes, he goes, no, let me hear you solo, man. Just play, you know. So I'm, a, I'm in there, you know, and I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's this funk tune. Yeah, I don't even remember what it was, but it was like, you know, something like what we were just jamming. Right. And I'm in there, you know. I'm like doing this shred yeah. crap, right? <laughs> and I see him through the glass get up and like he's waving his arms in the air and I'm thinking, oh, he's pissed. He's like, why did you bring this motherfucker in here with this noodly, weedly, weedly, weedly crap <laughs> when I'm like the inventor of funk music? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And the music stops and I hear him, I hear him in, my, in my earphones. He says, hey man. I said, is everything okay? He goes, yeah, do what you just did one more time. I want to record it this time. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. So I did that. I, I, he had a, like an eight minute That's loop. Awesome. I just shredded for eight minutes. He took me for a walk. We walk up to the liquor store and he said, man, I want you to, I want you to be my guitar player. Are you, are you available? And I was like, yeah, sweet. That was it, man. And I played with Sly. Sly taught me the most important lesson that any musician can know. What it was, was this. I was at his house one day and he had a track playing for me and he would never tell me what to play. He would always play a track and just say, do it. And I'd play whatever I wanted. And then he would watch the counter. And if I played something he dug, we then would go back and he'd be like, check out this thing you did here. Let's work on this. Let's build a part from that. Nice. That's how we did it. Right. So let's say I'm doing something and it's, uh, you know, just like a. So I'm doing that. Something like that. And he said, okay, that's great. I need you to lay back more. So I sat back in the seat and he laughs. He goes, no, man, I mean, I mean, I mean, you're playing. I need you to play, lay back more. And I just looked at him and he knew I had no idea what he was talking about. He goes, give me a minute. And he actually did this. He went, cause his studio was in a, in a, in a back house, like a guest house. Right. He went into the main house, comes back in about five, 10 minutes later. And he's got two CDs in his hand. And this is what I loved about Sly. He knew what I was and where I come from. And he wanted to relate to me in a way that I'm going to understand. You know what I mean? And he comes in with two CDs. One of them is Led Zeppelin. One of them is The Police. And he puts on the Led Zeppelin. Now, first he put on The Police. And I think he put on... Um... Right. Right? And he goes, listen to this drummer, man. He goes, you hear how he's playing? He's playing on top. 
It almost sounds like he's rushing. He's not rushing, but it almost sounds that way because he's playing, he's playing on top of the beat. You know, he's really pushing the beat. And then he put on the Zeppelin, and you hear Bonham. You know, was it? do you remember what song it was? I don't remember. Maybe when the levee breaks. Right. But it's like you. Um, oh, you know, it was. Uh, yeah. With the ocean, right? Yeah. yeah. I said, listen how this guy's playing so far back, it almost sounds like he's going to fall off his chair. He goes, that's what I want you to do. He, so what he did was he sat in front of me and he just stomped his foot. And he goes, I want you just to play quarter notes with that. And I went. And then he taught me how to just kind of rush them and play them behind the beat and I practiced that with a metronome for a long time doing that. Amazing. Yeah, and that made me, um, you know, that really helped my rhythm playing. Did you branch out to then from quarter notes to kind yeah. of pushing phrases back? Or? Exactly. You know, doing, going, you know, 16 notes, yeah. eight notes, you know, quarter note yeah. triplet figures, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. But that was it. That, that whole thing took, you know, 15 minutes from him saying, First try layback and getting CDs, and it just took yeah. not very long. But you never forgot it. I never forgot it, and it was something I worked on because being a session guitar player, that's come up many times. You know, right. hey man, play a little more top, or can you play in the middle more, or lay back more? That happens often, actually. And also, as a guitar player, it's very important for you know for young guitar players to know: listen to your drummer and lock with that drummer. Don't expect that drummer to lock to you. That's the drummer's job. The drummer's job is to keep the time. Every dr and me as a guy who's like a journeyman that plays with a million different artists, I don't, you know, every drummer's different. There's some drummers that I don't have to concentrate at all. We naturally lock together. And there are other drummers where I know this guy really lays back. I have to kind of pay a little attention to where I'm placing my time. Because sure. if it ain't funky, it ain't good. And I don't mean funky. Yeah. If it ain't pocketing if it isn't grooving it isn't good period you got that swing don't mean a thing yeah That's the best music quote ever it's true it's true you know you can have four really amazing musicians on stage and if they're not playing together it's all about it's feel. just a conversation it's you can sit around a table with four mensa members and if they're not talking to each other and listening to each other you're not going to have a brilliant conversation and music's the same way you're on stage having a conversation with other people and you have to know when to listen to the other people and then when it's your turn to speak. It's the same thing. Yeah, that's a big lesson. And that's a tall order to learn how to play behind and, and on top of the beat. It like is. That. But, you know, it's funny because I remember, what was the guy's name? You probably know him. Is his name Jazz or Joss? Obrecht? Obrecht? Yeah. 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 Jazz, you know, I never was quite sure how to say that. Jazz Obrecht from Guitar Player Magazine right. did all the big interviews like right. Van Halen back in the day. and That's the one I'm talking about. He did one with yeah. Eddie. That was not a scheduled interview or something. Right. He went to interview another guitar player, and the guy said he was too busy. So right. he went to the, he was backstage at the basketball court and right. ended up like hanging Interviewing out with this Eddie. dude. And the dude's like, well, I'm a guitar player. Right. Talk to me. Right. Who are you? Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Their album had just come out. Yeah. What about it? Eddie said something in that interview. I don't know if it was that interview, but one of those really early interviews where he said, you know, somebody said, you know, Eddie, you get no credit for the amazing rhythm guitar player that you are. And I, I was like, I agree, because the guy's right hand is crazy. Oh, yeah. And I said, that's right, he doesn't. And he says, well, yeah, you know, you're playing rhythm 95% of the time. Souls are a very small percentage. You better be a good rhythm player. So true. 
It was always important to me to be a good rhythm player. Plus, he, you know, he came up playing so many backyard parties where right. you're playing four sets of cover tunes. I, right. I don't care what anyone says. That's a really helps you. You didn't come up a, doing that. I did that. Yeah, we all well, did that. Well, especially later in life, I. Uh, got into these corporate bands where you'd play yeah. one set of dinner jazz sure. and you play one set of like Sinatra and right. Motown. Yeah. And then you're playing eighties and sixties and then up to the, sure. All the way up to the present and right. you play a lot of different styles. But yeah, uh, I toured with a top 40 band for about seven years. Tahoe, Reno, yeah. Laughlin, Vegas, all that stuff doing casino gigs, six, six nights a week, yeah. five sets a night. <laughs> totally. It, it, I think everybody should do it. When yeah. you're in your 20s, you should be doing that. It also, teaches you a lot. teaches you a lot. Also, you learn songs. You learn like, songs. Songs are how we... That's the way that we start a conversation most of the time. I mean, you could be on some free right. jazz scenario. Right. Or in some crazy progressive shred thing where people have all done their homework. Yeah. But a lot of times, it's a song that brings everyone together so they can have that conversation you're talking about. It's true. Songs. Yeah. Learning songs gives you vocabulary and you know i think when we get older and as musicians you get to a point where i i'm not going to play any faster i've reached the point in my life where i can play as fast as i can play i don't care about playing that much faster in fact i listened to recordings of myself when i was 25 30 years old and i can't play a lot of that stuff anymore I, i might have to sit here for a week to get those chops back i think i was fastest for me personally, when I was in the 10th grade and I was right. running three note per string. Exactly. Exactly. It's like yeah. the Aldi Miola phase, you know? You're more athletic. <laughs> yeah, we all went through that out that day, that, that, that whole thing, yeah. yeah. But now my, my thing is I want to expand my vocabulary. Yeah. That's really, I want to be a more interesting player. I ran into, you know, Pat Kelly. I ran into the, Pat Kelly's an amazing jazz player. I ran into him at, at this jazz club called the Vibrato, and he and I used to do stuff at uh, at the at the Matchless booth at the Nam shows. And he's, I mean, he's this crazy bebopper. He's unreal, unreal player. And um, and he really digs my playing. I don't know why. He just does. I said, man, I need to get together with you. I need to get over the hump. We all do that. We all get in a hump. Oh, yeah. when there's a hump in front of us, we need to get over it. Yeah. Some of us are cool at doing that. There's certain guitar players where you can hear them and. I don't want to name names, but there are certain guitar players that I idolized when I was a kid that when I see them play, they're the exact same guitar player they were 25, 30 years ago. They're still great, but there hasn't been growth. Right. There's just been lateral moves, if that. And then there are mm. others that every time I hear them play, every time I hear Mike Landau play, Mike Landau, it's not that he adds something, he reinvents himself. It's, he'll have a new rig, yeah. he'll have a new guitar, and he'll be not playing licks I heard him play on Charisma Records and Richard Marks Records, you know what I mean? He'll be a different guitar player, you know what I mean? Yeah. Luke always adds to what he knows. Every time I see Luke, he pulls out some shit that I'm like, oh, never heard you do that before. Always expanding his vocabulary. I oh. really respect those kinds of guys. Players like that, yeah. that's the way I want to be. I want to be... My vocabulary is always getting bigger. I'm fully with you. I can feel a little less guilty about getting stuck behind the hump that you were talking about. Right. Because just yesterday, you know, I teach. I still teach three hours a week at MI. I like okay. to be involved and keep a toe in over there and see my friends and, and meet the new students. 
I went an hour early just to attend Dean Brown's open counseling. Oh, jeez. And, you know, he just, he's just he been on this podcast. and, and He's you know, unreal, Yeah, man. he just blew my mind, got me all into eight-note bebop scales and yeah. all. Just how to, you know, real-world stuff. I saw him with Marcus Miller years ago. I was like, who's this guy? I was pissed Hiram Bullock wasn't there. I was like, where's uh, Hiram Bullock? <laughs> and he walks on stage, and I heard him play, and I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a monster. I don't know him. I've never met him. Oh, dude, you got to come hang out. Okay. Come on over. I'll be there. I'd love to. Wow, yeah. what, a great, what a great player. Yeah, he's There are those cool. dudes, man, that just yeah. are like, wow. Yeah. yeah, and Hiram, man, I'll never forget when I saw Hiram. I saw him when I was like 17 at the Jaco Pastorius benefit after he died. It was a benefit for his family. And one of the reasons I went was because Marcus Miller was on the bill. There's all these people, Wayne Shorter, Bob Weir from the dead, like a really interesting cross-section of artists. Right. And Marcus comes out with Hiram Bullock. And it's at the um, Omni in Oakland, which is owned by John Nady, or was, of Nady Wireless. Right. So everyone there gets a wireless system. Wow. So these two cats are <laughs> just doing the most crazy spontaneous jams, making up songs on the fly, and then they go out in the audience, go up into the balcony, and they're just putting on a show. Just, I became such a Hiram fan after that. Me too. I even, I even learned some of his solos off, like, David Sanborn records right. and stuff. Yeah, that, that uh... <laughs> That song? It's a Chicago song? Chicago song, yeah. Yeah, wait, yeah. I get the, what's the bass on? What key is it in? It's in C minor, and then it, it modulates up to E flat minor. Right. Shit, man. Wait. There's a. It's it's a. Oh, yeah. oh, that's the same song, right? It's um. Right. D flat major seven. Right. Yeah. Another solo on that album with it. That would have been like E flash something. Remember this one? No. Wait. It's so good. You just build it up. Yeah. so funny like I haven't played that in a million years but it just nice. stuck stuck in my brain from that <laughs> I 
I used to, yeah, he was to me was. I've seen a million great guitar players. Interviewed a few of them. Right. Saw Steve Ray Vaughan when I was 13, all the way up when he was still playing clubs. You know, I saw Van Halen. I've seen so much right. stuff. Yeah. Hiram is one of the greatest guitarists I've ever seen. Oh, the he's... way that he would just walk on stage and make shit happen. He's <laughs> yeah. funny. He was, pers- oh, he was hilarious. Especially later in life, man, when he got really overweight and he'd be like on stage shaking his ass around and be like, man, that guy's so damn good. He's so good. He's so funky. Right? Man, I saw him at the Catalina, the old Catalina on Cuenga with Marcus. It was Rad. a great show, man. He just, he sat in a chair the whole time. And then when he did guitar solos, he stood up and he just, man, with that yeah. ugly chorus he would use, just that yeah. ugly fast chorus, that MXR chorus. That I, I, I never liked it. I'm a big chorus guy. I love, you know, I love a good. That sounds beautiful. But when I play for leads. Oh, don't tease me. What's that? You're playing Purple Rain oh. down a half step. <laughs> okay, with the. Now, for the record, Jay Gore right here is playing a Line 6 Helix. Helix is amazing. I have the rack mount version in my studio. It's great. I'm still learning how to use it. Oh, it's so deep. I like it because it's so damn colorful, too. Yeah, it's great. Love that. But when I kick on a drive tone, I don't want that chorus anymore. You know? Chorus goes away now. nines here a little sorry about that bend there no i'm just kidding i got back into tens but i was in nines for a few years and i had to switch everything down to nines i i, I wake up every morning my hand is so stiff Man, and I, a lot. I take the glucosamine chondroitin it helps a lot but i just i i just the tone is different and i i i miss that my Les Paul, anything Gibson standard, I, I kept tens on those. Right. But anything Strat stand, you know, Strat scale, I 
went back down to nines. I kind of like nine. Whenever I pick up a Strat in a music store and I get some good bends going, and there's a certain yeah. sparkle. It's kind of a myth that you have to have fat strings for a fat tone. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's I mean they're they're you know tell Billy Gibbons his tone yeah. sucks and he's using sevens or something ridiculous. I think Frank Marino too, one of the yeah. most underrated sure. players. I yeah. think he uses like eights or something. Something I could be wrong, but yeah, they're uh, and like on like a SG or something. Oh yeah, oh, my SG. God, if I could ever get that guitar to sound good, I'd be so happy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, what was your rain. next big gig or touring, first real touring gig that you remember? Or The first big kind of arena stuff was Hillary Duff. How'd you end up playing for a pop star? Uh, I have a buddy of mine named Ty Stevens, also a great guitar player, who called me on a Monday. <laughs> and he says, what are you doing Wednesday? And I said, uh, I have some stuff. I can move it around, though. So he says, I'm um, the MD for this uh, this pop, pop singer. She's also an actress, and I don't know if you've heard of her or not. And we need, we need a lead guitar player. So I said, okay, cool. So I went down, and that was it. It wasn't an audition. It wasn't anything like that. It just, he, he called me for it, and um, we were rehearsing at this place called Leeds, which isn't there anymore. You remember Leeds? No. I mean, Leeds I, was I on. I still feel like I'm new here. I've been here nine years. but uh, Leeds was here. Oh, maybe that's about when they shut Leeds down, about nine years ago. It was a good studio, you know, it was, it was small. It was only three rooms, I think. It was in North Hollywood, kind of close to Mates, a couple blocks from Mates. And uh, that was great. That was a really great um, situation. I did that for a year. You know, that was my first kind of big bus tour with lots of crew and playing Madison Square Garden, Staples Center and all the cool stuff and touring. That was great. What was your first gig like? The first gig was really the, what it was, was we were doing a sweet 16 birthday party for her. And we were flying, they were doing, MTV was doing a whole um, spend Hillary Duff's 16th birthday with her. And Damn, so, I knew she was young. I didn't realize she was that young. She was 16 at the time, yeah. Playing arenas. <laughs> yeah. We, so they, we rehearsed to do this concert on Kauai and they built this beautiful stage right out on the beach outside of the hotel we were staying and we did four songs and so we spent one month I remember from noon to eight five days a week Monday through Friday rehearsing these four songs we were so I mean and everybody in the band were pros you know it was no no teenagers in the band it was all 30 something pros and so you know by the end of the first week, we had these tunes nailed, but it was just so, they wanted it just second nature tight, and it was. Then MTV freaked out at the band and how great it all sounded, and her label went nuts, and no, we've got to put this, we've got to put this band out on the road. So it was cool, man. I got to be on the, the DVD that, you know, and, and in her music videos on MTV, and I was, it was cool. That's great. It was a really good. I was very bummed when that gig ended. I was very bummed. Was the business side good, too? It was Okay. It was okay. I mean, it was, it was... What were the main perks of that gig for you that you missed when it went away? Oh, always always having a guitar tech. I have a guitar tech now, but I don't use him all the time because it has to be cost-effective. If, if, a, gig, if a gig is paying what I'm going to have to pay him, I have to then juggle, do I care about not making money on this gig? What's more important to me, making the money on this gig or not having to carry my gear? Right. Right. So, and believe me, you know, a lot of times I the money isn't important because of what kind of gig it is or I, I don't want to be there all day. I want to come 20 minutes for the show and play and then leave and not have to worry about it. If it's a place that's hard for parking, you know, things like that. Yeah. That's a real drag sometimes. Right. Then it's just easier for me. It's not worth the stress. 
you know, if I have enough money coming in from other sources, I don't need to worry about yep. that little gig, you know. But that was one of the things is never having to worry about anything but being a guitar player. Did you get some moments in the tour, like guitar moments where you got to? Yeah, there were there were about <laughs> half the songs. It's funny because we're in rehearsals and, and he, he forwarded me the, the CD. That day, a messenger came and brought me her CD and he told me which songs to start learning. And we did just two songs a day at first when we were learning them. And he said, learn this song and that song. And I learned the songs. And when I got there, he said, no, I'm going to play the part. All the parts I learned were the parts that the MD was going to play. Because I assumed I was going to be the rhythm guitar player because he's the musical director and why wouldn't he be the lead guitar player? And he said, listen, if there's a guitar part that sounds like it's the hard part, that's all you, buddy. <laughs> I mean, none of them were difficult, but... right. But it was would, cool because he was just... He just wanted to concentrate on managing the band. I want to be the MD. I want to make sure the drummer's playing the right kick pattern. I want to make sure the keyboard player's got the right patch up. I want, you know, he wanted to be MD. Right. right. I was totally cool with that. He's like, you've got the look. You've got the attitude. He goes, you're going to be the guy on stage that is going to be interacting with her most. Most of us are just going to be kind of standing in our places on the stage, but you're going to be the guy that's going to be able to kind of be on wireless and wander all over the stage with her and interact with her throughout the whole show. I was like, great, Sweet. I'm cool with that. That's kind of what became my role with all the smooth jazz artists was I became the, that guy who isn't the one that stands behind his pedal board 10 feet behind the artist. I'm more the guy that's up front. You still play wireless? I do. I do. I have one that I <laughs> use. I have two that I use, actually. Um, they're both excellent because the places we play on the smooth jazz gigs are... At the most, they're big theaters. They're at the most three, 4,000 seaters, unless we're playing festivals, and then they could be up to 10,000 seaters. But I'll backline, you know, wireless, and I don't, you know, I don't want them bringing me junk. I'm, I'm very sweet. My backline rider is very... You actually backline a wireless. Oh, yeah. I backline a wireless, and I backline a wah pedal. Because they're heavy. They're heavy. <laughs> I don't want to carry that. When I go on the road for smooth jazz gigs, I don't have a guitar tech traveling with me. When we get there, there's always somebody there to have everything set up and all that stuff for me, but I'm carrying it to the airport right. and I'm not carrying a wall pedal. It's just, that's a, what, five more pounds, four more pounds. It's, it's a hey, lot, man. I'm with you. And who in the audience can tell if it's a Vox or a Crybaby? Well, I've gotten completely addicted to my 95 Q Crybaby. <laughs> Is that one of them right there? The Chrome one? I think it could be. I've got so much spring crap. loaded, you know? Oh like, no, I don't have that one. I can't, man. People, everyone that tries it, most people seem to like it because if you haven't tried one, right. it springs off. You let it grow right. it. comes up by itself. The second you touch it, it comes on in the base position and it gradually goes, and you, can, you can sneak it in and you don't have to go, and didn't Vice start all that with his bad horsey wall? Was that like the first one that did that? I know they did that. I don't know who who was first. And right. that, I know that Morley started that with Vice. As far as I know, they started yeah. That's where I first remember it. But I don't know who started it, actually. Yeah. But I'm addicted to that. So it's harder to get those. But yeah, it's, it is annoying to carry that. I, I Yeah. Everyone has their own system. I If you have status on an airline, you can bring like a 70-pound bag. Right. I'm usually at like 55 pounds. I have right. a big suitcase. We've got the pedal board inside the suitcase. Sure. Just, check the whole thing yeah. some people carry their boards on the plane if i'm traveling with it i throw it in a pelican and i wheel it behind me and i check it and it's almost always something wrong when i get there and it's the kind of stuff where they intentionally you know yeah. all my stuff is down i have a proper pedal board i didn't buy some you know i'm not going to name names here but i didn't buy some you know consumer thing at the at guitar center with velcro strips 
and yeah. you know, I have it professionally wired by a guy named Dave Phillips at LA Sound Design. He's sure. incredible. Yeah. And he's made many pedal boards for me. And they're rock solid and it's dual locked down and it's for those pedals to come dislodged, they have to do it. Yeah. They have to do it willingly. They have to literally sit there and you have nothing better to do than screw oh. up my livelihood. Oh, you and get me started, dude. <laughs> I'm scared to see what's gonna happen with this thing when I start traveling with this with the helix. If I start yeah. traveling with this. Well, they, that might. There's less stuff to take apart. That's what I'm thinking. They can't really. Yeah, break. I have this flight case for my guitar, dude, and it's just a little bit of space in there. But right. So I have this bubble wrap that goes on top of the guitar just to <laughs> fill that little space. Okay. Every time I'd get there, and the bubble wrap would be placed underneath the guitar, like they'd lift the bubble wrap and off. And they don't re-bubble wrap it. Then it's not on top of the controls and the pickups where it needs to be. Right. It's like mind-boggling. Yeah. I do think. I'm I not carry throw them all under the bus. I, but. <laughs> yeah, I carry my guitar around. I carry it on the plane. Oh hell no! You don't carry it on the plane. Well, I usually bring two guitars, but oh, I don't. I backline one. Well, yeah, that's cool too. But yeah, I you know I bring it on and I carry it in that. It's like a gig bag, but it's got a it's, a it's hard got shell a hard bag. shell. Yeah, right. It's uh, that one is made by uh, one of those big companies. I can't remember the name of it, but it's really good because domestically it's not a problem. But yeah. when you travel overseas, it can be a problem. Oh, yeah. They don't... Dude, yeah. I went to India with uh, Greg Howe. That's wow. his second guitar player. You know, He's a great of, guy. Great guy, great player. Yeah. And it was so funny. They were like, oh, you can't carry your guitars in the plane. No. Well, yeah. All we had was like wimpy-ass soft gig bags. Right. You just got to check it. And it's two planes. Right. First to Hong Kong. And so we just checked it in our soft case. They were fine. Yeah. They were fine, but that was a little bit uh, <laughs> sketchy. I don't understand that hunger for let's ruin a musician's day when they're flying on our airline. I don't understand right. where that comes from. I really don't. I, don't I, had I a, think they're just not paying them enough. The flight attendants are usually cool. Yeah, it's the cool. gate agent that's the ball buster. And I just said to her one time, I said, you know, she said, well, you know, you musicians, you, you, you take all of the overhead bin space. And I said, listen, nobody is putting a, a bag in that overhead bin that has the same monetary value as this guitar. It's their clothing and their toiletries. That's what it is. This is a guitar that can't be replaced. It was custom made for me. It's a one of a kind guitar. If you destroy it, which you probably will, and reimburse me, what, $400 for it, then I'm screwed. I said, and I want you to think about that the next time you've paid an exorbitant amount of money for concert tickets and you're watching your favorite, you're watching your favorite ass act on stage that they had to fly to that gig and had their gear been broken, you wouldn't be sitting at that gig. They don't think that far ahead. They don't think that far ahead. <laughs> she let me on. I've also noticed it depends which airport. Try that in Newark, New Jersey. I don't think you're getting anywhere. Probably That's not. That's the worst. <laughs> you're probably right. <laughs> you're probably right. All right, let's play some Van Halen. Oh, what do you want to play? I just love all the... You were talking about all that rhythm. He does so much good uh, rhythm. I played the, the other uh, night at Nam. I was playing. Oh. There's so many That's grooves. That's great, man. Playing with just your fingers. Yeah, he probably isn't. I don't know. I just. 
play with my fingers a lot. I, I, I yeah. don't realize I'm doing it half the time. You know what I like is that I. Oh man, yeah, he's so underrated. How about this one? Oh yeah. A lot of his stuff, because I'm just the hugest fan, a lot of his stuff I've never bothered to learn because I want it, I want it always to sound like when I was 12 years old and heard it for the first time. And you kind of, when yeah. you can play it, it loses the magic for me because now I know how it's being done. You know, like I never bothered learning the, the Mean yeah. Streets intro. I never got good at it. Yeah, me either. Right, right. I never got interested. I never got good at it because I liked it when I hear it. It still sounds like, fuck. Yeah. You know? Fuck that guy, you know? <laughs> but there's a lot that I can play. Um, Which guitar is this one? This is a Warmoth, but it's my kind of Van Halen. It's got ash body and i've got the uh seymour duncan 78 in it screwed straight into the wood sick i love it it says that bite that you know that yeah Totally, it really pickup. does. It's a great pickup. It really is. <laughs> Feeling that. Yeah, drop, right. drop dead legs. Eddie does this great thing, man. He does this... Uh, That yeah. lick right there, man. That. Oh. So if you're like in, yeah. in C. Get that whole set bend with your... Right. That's it, man. He bends up to the four. He does that a lot. <laughs> um, like the uh, the uh, the Secrets guitar solo. Yeah. That guitar solo, man. I don't know if you've ever listened, like, really listened to that solo. Oh, just he does that that thing a lot. He does that that a lot in that, and then he does it, um, uh, dancing in the streets guitar solo. Man, what a, that's cool, man. That's You're going deep into some so, diver down oh, material man. here. I love it all, man. I really do. Well, what's your uh, latest gigs and stuff? What have you been doing? Have you been touring a lot on these? Uh, you doing the Dave Cos cruise? The Dave Cos cruise, I do that. Smooth jazz cruises for the nickname, or there, no? There is a smooth jazz cruise, and then there's the Dave Cos cruise. Um, Dave, I think, used to be part of the smooth jazz cruise. Um, then he went off on and does his own. I may, be, I may be giving you erroneous information. That's pretty um, impressive for a sax player to have his own fat, he, super popular cruise every year. He is sold out like two years in advance. Two, Amazing. Two, week, two cruises. We do two one-week cruises. And I have to say, nothing against all of the amazing artists I've worked with in my life, but that guy is... Um, he's unreal. He's just... 
an amazing friend, an amazing boss, an amazing talent, smart guy, fun guy. You know, he wants you to enjoy your work. He, he, he wants you to want to work hard. So he, he's that kind of, he's that kind of leader that motivates you to do better without you realizing you've just been motivated to do better. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. He, he's just really just a super, I can't say enough amazing things about the guy and being on his show, I've been able to tour with just amazing people. Michael Bolton, Michael McDonald, Bobby Caldwell. Um, I mean, we go out for a couple of weeks and yeah. I'm their guitar player. Right. So you, know? you, you get to perform with all of them. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing. It, it really just, you know, Alita Adams, um, I mean, I've got great stuff. I've got great Bolton stories. I've got great Michael McDonald stories. You know, we were gonna do a we were gonna do a Michael McDonald contest on the ship. It didn't end up happening, and Michael McDonald was gonna be the judge of who can talk and sing like him. You know, you right? Forget not in love anymore. You know, okay. Who who next? Who can do it out? Who else can do it? Got to get Paul Gilbert on that. Oh, I heard he does it great. Yeah, right? he was on this this on this podcast. If last year and uh yeah he crushed it the michael mcdonald yeah <laughs> this is my my this is my neil sean pack Very wet. Yeah, it was fun when you're sitting around in the house, you get a nice big reverb patch. Right. I'm yeah. totally into it. Yeah, it's Remember great. this one? Yeah. just uh, like E flat, F, G, yeah. right? And then E flat, B flat, F, G major. Beautiful. 
Right, so it's going between that solo, that end solo is going between G minor and G major. Major. See? It's a beautiful section. Yeah, it's all. And if you listen to what the bass guitar is doing, the bass is doubling yeah. the. You know, the And this is something that I feel like most guitar nerds and don't really even know about that little outro section no, to Stone in Love. It's, it's, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And it's great because it starts with that, with that all, you know. Uh, yeah. Dude, you got the rock in you, man. I know, you right? You have too much stuff to even talk about, but tell me a little bit <laughs> so more much. about smooth jazz and what it is today in 2018. First of all, what a great genre for a guitar. You get to take crazy extended jams and solos. It's really... It, 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 you know, it gets a bad rap, and I understand why it gets a bad rap, because if I wasn't, you know, firmly ensconced in it, I, you know, looking at it from the outside, it's kind of like pop music for for adults it's kind of um you know there's a lot of programming going on now and a lot of tracks and things like that but i will say that no matter what you see or what you may hear with the tracks and drum loops and all that kind of stuff with the smooth jazz all those cats they all play their asses off yeah there's some they're real real pro players they're all really kind of just bebop players that decided they want to do financially well you know what i mean they want to work and be chill they want to work ship. exactly i just did a cruise myself i mean so you know these are great gigs if right you get on the right they're great you did the cruise i did last the moody blues cruise no but i did that same route oh yeah with yeah. dave cause cozumel and cayman islands it's such <laughs> right people people don't know like this is not the love boat this is they have no idea. This is and not the the, the 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 reggae cruise you catch it in in uh, Marie del Rey to, to Catalina. No, this is uh, yeah. You're, these are white tablecloth restaurants right. where they hook you up, hook you up, and even the buffets are spectacular. Spectacular. You will do some eating you on a cruise. You will do some trip. eating. <laughs> And but you're hanging out with all these other musicians exactly, and making friends exactly. on a boat for five right, nights. Right. And I will say that all of these, the smooth jazz click is very much that it's a click you know a lot it's there's like the same five or six guitarists and drummers and bass players and all that do most of the gigs not all of them but most of them and i'm lucky enough to be one of those guys you know i have a very i've played with you know rick braun and peter white and candy dulfer and mindy a bear and dave cause and all on and on and on and on all of them i've played with them all they all yeah. know me we see each other we're like a family really that's everybody killer. knows everybody. We all know each other's yeah. wives and not that I have a wife, but <laughs> wife, but yeah. You know, it's just it's it's very it's very familial. It really is. It really yeah. is. It's a cool it's a cool thing. I'm very lucky. And and it's it's Mindy Abar's fault. 
It, but anybody who doesn't know Amy Bear, you should check her out. She's she's badass. She's great performer, great she, chess player. She, when I got off the Hillary Duff gig, she is somebody who I did a steakhouse gig with when we were in our twenties in Westwood, lounge shit, you know. Interesting. And she called me up and said, "Hey, man, you know, I need a guitar player." And so I was, you know, kind of standing in the background and, um, you know, being kind of, you know, you know, being like smooth jazz guy, you know, and. After I got off book and didn't have to read the charts anymore, she pulled me aside and she said, listen, you know, I could have hired any jazz guitar player I wanted. I, I need a rock guy that knows something about jazz. That's what. That's why you're here. Yeah. So she just gave me free reign, man. She's just like, make the tunes your own. You don't have to stick to that part that's on the record. Learn that part and then make it your part. You know, do your and, thing with it. And step up and... Absolutely. She's like, I want this to be the jazz version of... She literally said this to me. I'm Steven Tyler, you're you're Joe Perry. I'm Robert Plant, you're Jimmy Page. I'm David Lee Roth, you're Eddie Van Halen. I said, she said, that's what I want. I want it to be like, I'm the front man and you're the lead guitar player sidekick. And that's what it's going to be. So I was like, I'm down with that. I don't like being the guy standing 10 feet behind the artists and doing that. You know, sometimes it's cool when you're playing with Michael Bolton or you're playing with Michael McDonald. (laughs) They're so awe-inspiring that you're cool to kick back and just watch them. You know, Michael McDonough's playing every night. He'd play that intro to minute by minute. And I would look next to me at, at, at the backup singer named Melanie Taylor. She's amazing. We would look at each other like, oh, my God, you know, it's him. He's right there. Five feet away from us. Yeah. Do you know that uh, there's a meme going around uh, a Bobby Caldwell thing? You're talking about the one with <laughs> Kev on stage or? Oh, no. No, Bobby Caldwell. You know who Bobby Caldwell yeah, is? Yeah, Kev, Kev on stage has that hilarious thing where he, after 34 years, discovers that Bobby Caldwell is white. That's the one I'm talking about. Yeah. That's the one I'm talking about. And Bobby, because I played with Bobby Caldwell, uh, maybe, I played with him a few times. I played with him in Hawaii about six years ago. And I played with him, I think he was in the, in the Caribbean two years ago. He's a really sweet guy and he, he has lots of those stories. You know, from back in the day when you, you know, go on a TV program or something, they'd be like, where's Bobby? I'm Bobby. No, seriously, where's Bobby? Back to your question. Smooth Jazz in 2018, I don't know. It's becoming an oversaturated market genre. And the outlet for the genre is diminishing, meaning every year there are less festivals. And the most important thing, the genre of Smooth Jazz, which I think they're just calling it contemporary jazz now, but it's losing radio stations. And it's very, very dependent upon radio stations because the, the fans are not all internet savvy. They're not following somebody on their website or their Facebook page as to where their gigs are. They listen to the radio station in their car. They listen to it at work or when they're in their car, they listen to their local smooth jazz radio station. Here we had The Wave, which is no longer a smooth jazz channel. It's now, 
you know, like R&B, classic R&B. That's what it is. It's, you know, the Gap Band and Ohio Players and great music. It's all great. Brothers Johnson, you can hear all this amazing music on there, but they're not playing instrumental smooth jazz anymore. So when you lose, say you're in Chicago and the station in Chicago goes under and changes format, the clubs that we would go on tour and play in Chicago are gone now. That, that gig's gone. Because people don't know you're coming. They don't know we're coming. And they're, and exactly. They don't know we're coming, and they're not, so they're not selling tickets. And so that's what happens. And through my years of touring with Mindy Bear, 10 years I toured with her, I saw where we went from you know a certain amount of gigs one year, and we would do that same circuit the next year, and there'd be like a couple less clubs, and then a couple less clubs. And five, six, seven years into it, I was like, we're, we're down to less than half the gigs we were doing five, six, seven years ago. Yeah, I know, because the radio stations went away. That's hard. It's tough. Of- so that's why there's more festivals. That's why these cruises are popping up. Yeah, well, hopefully it makes up for it right. in those areas. Right. I'm very lucky to be on that cruise, to be in that in that chair. I really am. I uh, I don't take it for granted at all. I, it's a very... I, I love doing it. I have so much fun doing it. It challenges me as a player every year, because I have to learn six or seven or eight shows... And yeah. I have to do my own show on the cruise. I do a Jay Gore show. Sweet. Yeah, which is usually just a track show. But I, you know, I'll round up cats on the ship. Come sit in with me at my show. We all do that. We sit on each other's yeah. show. You know, on, and so it's fun. Yeah. The audience never knows what they're going to see. It just it's all yeah. so spontaneous. It's great. So that's what's happening. That's why the new record I did. I think I kind of wanted to get away from smooth jazz. It's called Gitronica, which yes. is a tribute to guitar and I think Veronica from, right. uh, <laughs> from Archie Comics. There you go. That's You're right. right. You're Love obsessed with her. I am now. <laughs> right. Gitronica. So tell us about what inspired this album. I really dig... You know, the Enigma, Massive Attack, Portis Head, that kind of, I just dig it. it it's funny because yeah. I don't like most music that isn't live musicians, but yet I love this music. I don't know why. It just, it affects me. I just, I hear it and it just makes me just want to just turn it up loud and just really just dive into it. So I thought, wow, I, I've not heard anybody doing this music with lead guitar playing the melodies. And not just, I'm not talking some jazz tone i mean a rock tone totally you know what would it sound like if i was playing with a rock tone over really cool electronic music you know mid-tempo kind of sexy slinky kind of stuff so that's what it is kind of gets a little shreddy at yeah, the end. I, I love it, man. I did it all with that guitar, the vomit, reverse vomit, junior vomit, whatever. <laughs> so I just did, I just did the Bogner, did the head load. From radial, head load. Yeah, the Bogner, Shiva, pretty, I don't want to say the dimed out because I didn't dime out the tone controls, but the volume was cr- pretty close to di- dimed out. It's an EL34 Bogner Shiva, dirt channel, boost was not on just the regular overdrive channel into the radial head load. And, and that sends I, a direct signal, line level, right. no speaker cabinet. Correct. Into your... Into my mic pre. And then I went into the uh, compressor, 
the Summit audio compressor, but I really didn't compress. I just let the needle barely move, just so it's touching it. It's a really nice, it warms things up a lot. Cool. And then straight into Pro Tools, that's it. Some of these parts like like on distant illusion i love the uh, just the ending jam it's just simple progression very emotional sounding on there like, thank uh, you yeah I dig that one I co-wrote that with my producer Julian Chan um Scan yeah Scandium sort of has another like a Gilmore I think of it as almost Dave Gilmore kind of there's a lot of Gilmore on here and, like, and and I love Dave Gilmore but I'm not I would not say I'm heavily influenced by him at all yeah. but when I listen back to this record now I, I I'm like oh, there's a lot of Gilmore in here Have you ever noticed that you might be influenced by people that you didn't even realize? Like when yeah. I first joined Jefferson Starship, the manager at the time said, you love Pete Townsend, don't you? And, and I realized, cause sometimes I will do like a little low rent kind of little windmill, kind of just a power oh, chord, okay. just that motion. Yeah. That I was like, you know what? Fuck yeah, I love Pete Townsend. Like it's in there, even though I don't think about it on a daily basis. I have to say, I, I saw some TV show that you guys did on Axis or something like that. Oh, probably the direct TV or I don't know. It was really yeah. well done. The, the performance was mic'd well and like it was all real high quality and then you were all sitting around doing an interview afterwards. I was very, very, the shit you were playing was awesome. Like oh, your man. tones were killing, your playing was killing. It was Thanks. all really just really good. Really good shit, man. I For appreciate sure. that. Yeah. It made me want to go see the band. Because <laughs> I saw, I saw Jefferson Starship in like 81 or 82. Dude, man, we have like parallel like yeah. childhoods because I did With too. With Craig and, and, yeah. and Mickey and Grace. Ta -da. Yeah. You're hired, man. No for note. I love. I can't believe I remember that solo. I love encyclopedic guitar players. I am definitely one. I, I'm with I you, man. I learn all those solos. You know, like yeah. whether I've ever, you know, it could be. Who's I was showing a student the other day? I was like, you got to learn some solos. You got to be like, yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, gotta learn them, man. We actually do Jane down a whole step in D. It sounds really mean. Do you tune the guitar down? Just a low, low E string oh, down okay. in D, so you get that, you know. Wow. You get that. I like it. Because David didn't sing the original David Freiberg, but right. he wrote it. Oh, okay. Who's the girl? Kathy Richardson. She's so good. Yeah, she's amazing. She's really great. Anyway, it's a thank, great band. Really. Thanks for the just, shout out. Yeah, that was seriously. I was like, really, <laughs> I was like, fuck yeah, this is. That great. was actually a hard gig, man, because it was a sterile TV studio with like seven cameras for direct I TV. I get it. They're like literally told us, don't make a sound after you play. Wait ten seconds of pure silence before you even like drop a pin. Just like a weird environment when yeah. we're we're a very much a live band used to playing with people in our faces, you know, mm-hmm. play in a sterile thing. That's... So I'm, I'm glad you liked it, man. I, I appreciate that. So anyway, there's so much cool stuff on your record. Like I love this like kind of kill switch moment at the end of Levitate where the guitar is kind of cutting in and out. if you just did that in Pro Tools or I think I did um, yeah because the guitar this guitar is the only guitar I used on the whole record except one song I used uh, I have a custom shop 63 Strat in the other room you want to sell it sorry I'm, what, what were you saying <laughs> I'll show it to you you'll love it it's actually the Landau model you know the Not Landau really. 63 that Fiesta Red one yeah yeah, yeah I've got one in the other room I used that into my Blankenship so that's solitude. Solitude yeah. is the only song on the album where I used a different amp and guitar. I used my Blankenship. I have a custom Blankenship head that he made a one-off of, but he says he's going to make them now and call them the, the Twinplex Junior. Because yeah. he makes a Twinplex, which is a big, huge head. And I didn't want something big. I wanted a smaller head. Um, that I could carry around easily but still have tons and tons of headroom so he took him like a, a month or so to figure out how to do it and he finally called me and said bring me money I figured out how to do it <laughs> so I love it so that's what that that solitude is just that it's um it's that strat into that Blankenship head pretty cranked up Yeah, a lot of it was me done. Was done. Most of the tones on the record are the neck pickup with my volume knob, you know, kind of somewhere in the middle there. Just good. like this is that's full volume, and then you know I would ease it back to. What kind of neck pickup is that? It almost looks like a sustainer or something. This is pickup is a old. I think it's called a hot stack. Sounds great. It's like from the '80s. It's like one of the very first stacked pickups. Um, it's not what I used on the record. Um, on the record, I used a couple different neck pickups. I used a, uh, there's a, the chopper, I think it's called. I used, honestly, lots of different pickups. I, I, I was still trying to find the right pickup for this guitar. Let's listen to the beginning of Motion. It's a real beautiful song.
question was an exercise. I came up with it laying in bed one night, and it was just an exercise I was doing that I kind of came up with. I have these just little, you know, you know, little exercises that we all come up with. So this one was kind of, I was starting in the key of E. So it's E, B, A, E. And I'm just really just arpeggiating the chords. And then the next part is just an E major scale. So sweet that we get to show previews right here. Right. That's right, because yeah. no guitar is safe. <laughs> no guitar is safe, and no unreleased album is safe. That's we'll good. play that shit. <laughs> Very good. Well, anyway, any local gigs for the L.A. area that you do regularly? I mean, I look at you, your stuff, and you do so many different things. I wouldn't know where to begin. What, what's right. cooking for Jake? Or? On Monday nights, I play in Santa Monica at a club called Harvell's, and it is a jam session, and you're welcome to sit in as long as you are not a scrub. Okay. Having said that, we use the jam session as a fundraiser for a school called Rafia School of Music, and it's for lessons and classes for kids who can't afford school, music school. So yeah. we play all night, and we ask for people to just kind of make some small donations into a little cup that's by the stage. And uh, if you're a musician, come on in. If you're not, come on in. You'll pay a $5 cover, and that $5 cover goes straight to the school. We don't, awesome. we don't keep any of that money. And uh, yeah. I love doing it. It's fun. Uh, great players. I mean, oh, amazing, yeah. great players. And we'll, we play all kind. We'll, we'll play rock. We'll play jazz. We'll play funk. We'll play an R&B. I mean, you're going to hear Stevie Wonder and Herbie Hancock and Miles Davis and Bruno Mars all in the same night. With great players. With great players. <laughs> no. And it's all off the cuff. It's just never planned out. And that's, that's Monday great. nights at Harvell's. And we, we just start about 9.30 p.m. It's crazy how many jams are going on in L.A. I nowadays. know. So money. many. Because people need an outlet. They just don't have yeah. it anymore. People need to play. I have to say thank you to Steve Lucas there for designing this pickup right here because it's pretty badass. It must be a DiMarzio. Yeah. Something like that. Thanks for doing it, Jay Gore. I really appreciate you Thanks being Thanks for having on. me. It's a real honor to be on your podcast. Oh, yeah. Really. No, the honor is Thank you very much. Mine. Dude, we are shaking hands on this. We are. <laughs> We're shaking hands, people. <laughs> All right. All right. Take it out on something. Lights. Okay.
bad. Whoa.